welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning. I ask you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we turn to uh, this passage beginning in verse 17, and uh, just read for you down through uh, verse 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Uh, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Well, this truth that uh, we're looking at this morning is probably one of the one of the most important for the believer to be able to understand, to be able to to grasp, and to uh, put into practice in our in our daily lives. I've entitled this new new life in Christ, part two, as we want to uh, continue looking, beginning in verse twenty, at this section. Now, if, if you remember back. <clears throat> Uh, Last time, we looked in verse 17 at this statement. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And we looked at verse 18 and 19, or 18 through 19, at this description that Paul gives of the Gentiles, this world of unbelievers, those that are without Christ. And we saw that he's making the point that they are futile. Their, their thinking is futile, and their understanding is darkened. Uh, they're alienated from God, and they live in this hopeless abandonment. And he describes <clears throat> uh, really the, the downward spiral into sin, uh, where a person is, just gives themselves over to uh, live in immorality, and as we saw in Romans uh, chapter 1, where Paul expands upon this truth that God gives them over in their sin. And, it, and it's a description of the world that we're all born into. And it is who we were without Christ. Uh, this really describing what it means to be in Adam. And we'll, we'll talk about that more in the message but that is all of us before we were saved by the grace of God and, and delivered from the power of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Christ. And so Paul reminds us that, um, that this is not who we are now, now that we're in Christ. Uh, and he makes a strong uh, contrast there beginning in verse 20. And he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ and uh, literally, he says, but you. He brings the, the, the you right to the beginning. 
in the, in the sentence for emphasis and says, but you not so did you learn Christ. And he wants, to, wants us to grasp hold of this reality that um, uh, we are not like that anymore. That's not who we are. And he says, that's not the way you learned Christ. And he's, he's not just talking about knowing facts about Christ. Uh, he's talking about a personal relationship with him, knowing him as our Savior and as our Lord. It's, it's, it's the relationship that begins at our conversion. God opens our hearts and minds to the truth of the gospel, and we believed in him. And from that time forward, we, we have this relationship, and we are growing in our relationship with him and this new life in him. Paul describes in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8 like this. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Well, Paul assumes that uh, these <clears throat> listeners, these ones that are the recipients in Ephesus, the church there, he assumes that they know Christ, but he realizes that there may be some who don't really know him as their Savior. He's warned about the deception of false teachers and the false gospel. And he says in verse 21, assuming that you have heard him or heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And so he's... Uh, acknowledging that um, it is an assumption. It's an assumption he's making that um, they are genuine, they are real, and that they have heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. It's interesting there at the end of the, ver end of the sentence uh, that he uses the name Jesus by itself. Now, that's pretty rare for Paul. I went back and looked so over 200 times that he uses the name Jesus, but, but almost always in combination with uh, another name like Jesus Christ or, or Christ Jesus or the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, it's interesting here, maybe he wants to highlight the reality that we have a relationship with a person, Jesus. Uh, they had heard him. There in verse 21, the, the, the word about, to heard about him is, is supplied by the translators for for clarity, but um, in reality, when uh, we hear the gospel, we hear Christ. We hear Christ speaking to us through the gospel and the gospel invitation. And, and when we put our faith and trust in Him, it is, a, it is a personal invitation from Him, and it's a personal relationship that we enter into with Christ. Like Paul, we, we mustn't just assume that people around us that uh, claim to know Christ really know Him. Uh, many know about Him and are even religious and maybe even are members of a church, but that doesn't mean they really know Christ. It doesn't mean that there is this relationship that Paul's describing in these verses. You see, Paul's making a point here in this, in this section that people who are in Christ, are different from the world. There's a radical difference between being in Adam and being in Christ. And he's going to admonish us that because we're in Christ, 
we should live like it. It should, it should make a difference in how we live. Well, what is this truth that they would have heard and, and were taught in? He, he begins in verse 22 by saying, um, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and, to, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And that's what we want to talk about this morning is our new identity in Christ as believers. Those of us who trusted Christ as our Savior, we have a new identity. And as Paul uses this uh, word, the, the old self and the new self, literally the the old man and the new man. What is he talking about? What does he mean by that? Well, he's, he's emphasizing the contrast between who we were before we were saved and who we are now, the old self and the new self. He, he identifies there in verse 22, the old self as that which belongs to the former manner of life. And, and he's using this imagery of of taking off and putting on. And it's the imagery of, of clothing, taking off, putting something aside, discarding it, and putting on a new clothing. And it illustrates for us this transformation that took place when the Lord saved us. And that's the first point I want us to see here this morning is that our, our new identity in Christ is a transformation you see, when the Lord saved us, He didn't just clean us up like the restoration of, a, of an old car where, where you, you know, clean it up and maybe, um, maybe do some repairs here and there and, and get a new paint job, new, new tires and new wheels and maybe do some uh, repairing of uh, upholstery or maybe replacing the fabric, you know, that kind of um, restoration. Or, or ladies, maybe you can relate to... Um, going to the uh, beauty salon and getting a makeover with uh, you know, makeup and new hair style and everything. It used to be a, a, a reality show or something called about a makeover. And these ladies at the end of the program would come out and have new clothing and new hair and makeup, and you could hardly recognize them as the same person <laughs> that they were before. Uh, no, that's not what uh, the Lord does for us in salvation. He doesn't do a makeover. No, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This transformation is what Paul's describing. And we see it in Romans 6. If you'll turn, turn back in your Bibles and find Romans chapter 6, I'd like for you to see it there in your Bibles. Uh, and what he's describing there in more detail is our identification with Christ in his death and resurrection. Our old self died when, with Christ on the cross, and, and we have now new life in him. He calls it the new self. Uh, let's look at the um, beginning in verse 1 at Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And he's going to describe what he means 
by having died to sin. He says in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? And he's using the word baptism there to talk about our spiritual baptism. Now the physical baptism, you know, where a person's put into the water, that, that illustrates what he's talking about here. But he's not talking about the physical part. He's talking about the spiritual part. What takes place when we trust Christ as our Savior, when we're saved. We are baptized. We're immersed in Him. That's what he means in other places where he says we're in Christ. And he says, don't you know that all of us who've, who are in Christ, who've been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? And so, although we hadn't been born yet, when we trust Christ, we're identified with Him. And spiritually speaking, we died with Him. The old man, the old self, died with Him. He goes on in verse 4. He says, uh, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that the old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So this is, uh, this is what Paul is, is talking about also in Ephesians chapter 4, this putting off and the putting on uh, something that was accomplished when we were saved. We were brought into this uh, relationship with Christ. He's talking about a, the spiritual transformation. When Christ died on the cross, we died with Him. And when uh, He was raised from the dead, we were raised up with Him. And so you may be wondering then, if we have died with Christ, if we have this new life, why do we still struggle with sin? Have you ever thought about that? Um, it's a real problem, isn't it? Because we, we know, if we're honest, that we do still struggle with sin. And even though we have this new life, we're a new creation in Christ Jesus, we still have this problem. And the problem is because of our unredeemed humanness, we could put it that way. Uh, This humanity, this capacity that we have for sin is still within us. In reality, it's more than a capacity. It It is an active opposition to God's will that still is, um, we we still find it within us, don't we? Uh, Turn turn a couple pages over if you're still in Romans, Romans chapter 7, and we'll see Paul just a a couple of verses there as he takes a long section in chapter 7 to to describe this problem. And I want to begin looking in verse 21, Romans 7, verse 21. He says, so I find it to be a law, and he, he uses the word law here, and he's kind of, it's a bit of a, I don't know if you could say it's to play on words, but he's contrasting the law of God and this law, and he's using the word law here as a principle. It's like a spiritual principle. 
it's not like a written code or something like that you obey or don't obey. It's a it's a principle that he's describing. So when he uses it here, he says, so I find it to be a law or a, or a principle that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And in a way, it's like a law. It's, it's just there. It's, you can almost guarantee it to be so. Have you, ever, have you experienced that? Do you know what he's talking about? It's this desire you have to honor God and live for God and, and the, the next thing you turn around, you realize that you just disobeyed. The very thing you were desiring to do, you went right and did the opposite. Paul says this evil lies close at hand. He says, for I delight in the law of God, but in my inner being, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So Paul's, you can see he's trying to use different ways of describing this. It's hard to, hard to describe. He calls it uh, evil that lies close at hand. He, he talks about being in his inner being. And then he says, in my member, members. He's talking about the members of his, of his humanity, his body. He says there's, there's this principle of of War that's being waged in the, in the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin or this principle of sin that dwells in my, in my members. Well, we can praise the Lord that in the resurrection we will receive glorified bodies and we will experience the full redemption that the Lord has paid for for us on the cross. And that day we'll no longer have this capacity to sin. We'll no longer have the presence of sin within us. We will no longer have these fallen bodies uh, and that is subject to the presence of sin and the, the enticement by sin, sometimes referred to as the flesh. Uh, that, that will be done away with. And don't misunderstand, Paul is not saying that the body itself is sinful. That was the error of the, um, the, the, the Gnostics that believe that there's this dualistic idea that you know, the spirit is good, but the body is evil. And so therefore, what you do with the body doesn't really matter. It's just evil. No, the Lord has taught us that, uh, that our body is to be used for the Lord. It belongs to Him. And so he's describing that our bodies are not, sinful in and of themselves, but it is through our bodies that sin enters. And, and it's through our, through our hands, through our feet, through our mouths, through our eyes, through our mind, through our, our thinking processes. Sin finds an open door. It finds a foothold through means of our unredeemed humanity. And it's operative. Paul describes it as being close at hand. And so there there must be this battle for us as believers. If we are going to, to live for God, we must wage war against the flesh, against the, the world and the devil that would uh, seek to pull us back into the old life, back into the old way of, of living. Well, although this sin, this principle of sin is still present, its power has been broken. And that's, a, that's an important truth for us to realize. We, 
We, we can't just say, well, well, I mean, I've had this principle of sin within me. I, I just, nothing I can do about it. You know, as, as the scripture makes very clear to us, if you go back to Romans 6, we can see there that this, the power of sin has been broken and we are able by the power of the working of the Spirit of God within us to live in our bodies to the glory of God and to serve Him. And it brings us to a second truth, and that is that our new identity in Christ must be practiced. It must be practiced. If you're still in Romans 6, notice again verse 6 and 7. He says, We know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. And there he introduces a, a, a different term, a body of sin. And so he's still talking about this principle of sin that is within us, that, that finds, a, finds an open door in our, in our flesh or in our bodies. He, he describes it a body of sin, and he says it, that it might be brought to nothing or to, to, to no avail. Uh, and, he, and he describes this way, so that, and, and he gives us there a, a purpose a purpose statement, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And that's important for us to, to grasp hold of, and he's going to spend really the rest of the, the chapter um, talking about this truth and the ramifications of the truth, that we're no longer under this enslaving power of sin. The power of sin, the dominating power of sin has been broken. We are set free from that power in Christ. We're not set free from the presence of sin. Not yet. But we are set free from the power of sin. He continues later, look down to verse 11. He says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, this, this truth that he's described of our death with him and our resurrection him, he said you must consider it to be so. You must put it to practice. He goes on verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. We've been set free. We mustn't put ourselves back under sin as a slave to sin. Verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That's, an, that's a truth that we need to grasp hold of this morning as believers that we, we have these bodies that are to be presented. They are to be brought unto the Lord as instruments that He can use for righteousness and not put ourselves back under the bondage of sin to serve sin and to allow our bodies, the members of our bodies to be presented uh, as the servants of sin. Uh, turn over to Colossians chapter 3. If you go back to Ephesians and then just turn a few pages to the right, you'll, you'll come to Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. I want you to see it there in your Bibles. As you're finding your place, uh, 
relate to you a story I read about this, um, this old man dressed in shabby clothes and looking rather disheveled and he was walking on a, a rather uh, exclusive golf course and uh, the security people came along and found him and picked him up and brought him <clears throat> brought him back to the, uh, the to their office and he was getting ready to call the police to have him taken in for vagrancy that it was until they found out he's the owner of the course <laughs> See, this security guy, he, he didn't know who he was. And he didn't look the part. He didn't look like he fit in that place as he just was wandering around. And so Paul is going to argue, and the scriptures argue, that we have this new life in Christ. And so we're called upon to put on what we have and to put off what we've died to. In Christ, and that's his point in this in this practice in this uh, passage that there is a practice, there is an application to this truth that we must take to heart and we must live out. In Colossians chapter three, Paul will bring these two realities together. First of all, our position in Christ: we've died with Him. We're a new creation in Christ. We have new life. That's our. That's our position in Christ. And he's going to call upon a practice to match that. And so in, in Colossians chapter 3, he brings those two together for us. We can see them quite easily. Beginning in verse 1, he says, If then, and he's, the assumption is that they have, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, that's our position, he says, Seek the things that are above. That's the practice. In other words, he's saying, put on the new self. He says, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. Again, that's the practice, the practice of our position in him. He goes on to say, for you have died, again, our position, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then he goes back to practice. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he's going to continue in that passage to, to describe the things that we're to put off, the things that we have died to. And he's going to talk about things that we're to put on. And it's a much like the passage in, in Ephesians 4. In many ways, they're parallel and uh, in the, the content that he's talking about. <clears throat> well, if you re- return to Ephesians 4, you'll see this is the foundational truth that Paul is reminding his readers about. The things that they had heard of Christ and the things that, uh, that they were taught in him, the truth that is in Jesus He says, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And he continues in verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Now, in those two verses, he's contrasting the word corrupt and the word renewed. Uh, In other words, the corruption 
the old life and the renewal that's to be taken place in our new life. And these um, are set over against each other. Both of these words are verbs that are in the present tense. In other words, there is this uh, continual process that is taking place. The old manner of life without Christ is in a continual process of ruin. That's the, the description we saw in verse 17 to 19. This, the world in sin is, is in this continual process of ruin. There's this uh, spiral downward, 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 away from God. The longer a person continues on that path, the, the more they go into the depths of depravity and ruin or corruption. And uh, you'll see that in some of the translations being brought out, like in the, the, the NASB trans- translation, he says, which is being corrupted, bringing out the present tense in that verb. Because of our new life in Christ, the Lord has put us on a new trajectory, uh, one of continual renewal, as we daily put on the new self. And at the heart of this practice as he describes in verse 23, is a renewal of our minds. The renewal, again, is in this uh, present tense. It is a, it's just an ongoing renewal. It's not something that uh, you can accomplish and say, well, I'm glad that's taken care of. No, it's a, it's a need of a, a daily, continually uh, need for a renewing of our minds, uh, He says it this way in Romans 12 and verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then again in Colossians 3 that we just looked at, verses 1 and 2, he says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. That's the same concept, the renewal of our mind, our thinking processes. You no doubt, no doubt heard the, uh, the, the, the statement, you are what you eat. Well, in a, in a similar way, spiritually speaking, we are what we think. To be spiritually healthy, we must be feeding our thoughts upon the Word of God, thinking God's thoughts, thinking His Word that He's given us. And back in verse 23, he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Maybe you've wondered why he says it that way. Uh, In other places, he just says says something like, you know, be renewed in your minds. Let this mind be in you and so forth. But here he says the spirit of your minds. And there's been varying thoughts about what he means by that. Uh, Some think he's referring to the Holy Spirit. And it is true, and obviously, that um, the Holy Spirit does the work of transformation in our lives. And if there's any renewal that takes place, the Spirit of God is doing that work through us. As we we think upon God's Word, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to our thinking and our minds. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Spirit of our minds. some say it refers to the inner self. And it is true that the, our mind's part of our inner being, our inner self. 
but I, I don't think that's really the, what he's saying. Another very good possibility is that he's dealing with the principle that controls our minds. So you could use spirit in that way to talk about this controlling uh, principle uh, of our minds. But the, the option that seems to, to be best to me is the one that sees the spirit here referring to the attitude of our minds. And there's a couple of other places in Scripture that uh, use the word spirit uh, in that way. Um, you, you know Galatians 6, 1, where, where it, uh, it admonished to, um, uh, to help the person that's, uh, that's gone away from the Lord. We're to restore them in the spirit of humility, right? And so he's, he's talking about this attitude, the, the way in which we do something with, with humility. And I believe that's what he's talking about here, this, the spirit of your minds. The, the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament uh, uh, describes the word as used here in this context as an attitude or disposition reflecting the way in which a person thinks about or deals with some matter. And so it's, it's very practical as you think about it this way, the, the attitude or the disposition of our minds, uh, that is, is to be renewed as we, uh, as we live our Christian lives. We need this constant renewal. And if you, you think back to Romans 12 that I, that I gave you, Romans 12, verse 2, it says, be not conformed. Well, the, 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 uh, the tense there is something that is happening. It just automatically happens. The world that we live in is constantly molding us and shaping us to think like the world thinks. And so we must resist that. We must fight against that. And the way that we do that is we renew our minds. We submit our minds and our thinking to the Word of God so that we learn how to think about the world around us. We, we learn to think about you know, things that's happening over here and the things that's happening over there. We think about things that's happening in my own life, how to deal with it. We learn a biblical perspective of life by the renewing of our minds. Well, this is something that is needed as an ongoing reality in our lives, a day-by-day uh, renewal. In Ephesians 3, earlier, you remember in verse 16, when Paul was praying there at the end of, that, end of that section, he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And though he doesn't use the word mind there, he's talking about the same thing, this inner strengthening of our spiritual being, the new man, the new self. And we, we need that. And it is by and through the Spirit of God that that happens as we, as we cooperate with Him and allow the Word of God to, to impact us. Paul also writes in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16 about the, the outer self, talking about our, our physical bodies. He says, although it is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so God has made provision for this for us as believers. He's made provision that we might undergo this strengthening process, this renewal process. It, it, 
first of all, requires the dependence upon the Spirit of God. Um, the whole Christian life is one that's lived by His strength, and by His power. And so the very moment that we think that if I just do this and I just do that and I follow these 12 steps, then I'll be all right. No, that's not what God's saying. And those things, those steps might be good things, but if they are taken on by our power, then we just become a legalist at best. Uh, we must submit ourselves to the Spirit of God, allowing Him to empower us and to guide and teach us and to put His fruit within our, within our lives by His transforming power. And He does that through the Word of God. The Word of God is central to our growth. And uh, that's why we preach the way we preach here. In other words, I'm not looking, when I'm thinking about a sermon, I'm not thinking about the topic of the day. I don't go to the newspaper and say, okay, what's really hot? What's people really interested in? And so let's make a, a topic out of that. And I can throw in some verses here and give a, a lot of illustrations and people will really appreciate that. And it'll be a good moral lesson. Uh, that's not my style and I, because um, it, it will not carry you through. <laughs> You will not find the spiritual meat of God's Word that way. And the reason we preach the way we preach is not to draw a big crowd or to just make people feel good, but so that they, they when they come, they are fed upon the Word of God, the meat of God's Word, so that you as believers can grow thereby. And we're admonished in that in several ways through the through the teaching of God's Word. Well, thirdly, it's in the worship of God's Word. Uh, sorry, the worship of God. And uh, as we come together corporately, we worship Him, we worship Him, we sing the Word, teach the Word and preach the Word and pray the Word so that we have this renewal. There's also the private element of our worship. And that uh, really needs to be happening daily. Uh, we go through our weeks, we need to be thinking upon God, upon His Word, um, allowing the Word of God to uh, change us, to mold us, uh, in, being in communion with Him. Uh, these are all ways in which our minds are renewed and our inner man is strengthened. Well, lastly, I want you to see our new identity in Christ is God-like. That's a pretty amazing statement, isn't it? It's God-like. Now I want you to see what he means, what I mean by that word. Just as the, the old self was Adam-like, the new self is Christ-like. Verse 24 in our text in Ephesians 4, he says, And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. A statement like that should take our minds back to Genesis 1 where God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Well, that likeness was marred and, and ruined by the fall, by, by the sin of Adam and Eve. But in Christ, we are a new creation. And one day, we will also have a glorified, resurrected body. And we will have a body that's suited for our new identity in Christ. Until then, we 
we still have this struggle, but then there will be no more struggle with sin. As John wrote, we shall see Him, or, or we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, you remember that chapter that deals with the, the resurrection? He says for, in verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. It comes on down to verse 49, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, and you know he's talking about there, Adam was made from the dust. He says, just as we bore his image, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, referring to our Lord and Savior. And then in Romans 5.19, he says, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. This is our identity in Christ. This is who we are as believers. And I want to close this morning with this passage from 2 Peter chapter 1. And it really brings this truth all together in a couple of verses here as he describes what we are in Christ. He says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Well, that's hard to take in, isn't it? I mean, the sense of to grasp that, that we're made partakers of the divine nature. He's not saying that he's made us little gods, as some people like to think. No, but he has created in us a, a likeness of himself. And the, the fruit of the Spirit of God is creating in us, growing in us, a, a likeness of himself. We think about the attributes of Christ. Think about patience, love, and truth, and purity, and holiness, and righteousness. All of these attributes is the things that, that God has created in us. And one day they will become a complete reality. For now, there's this struggle. There's this struggle because of sin. And we are to put off daily that which pertains to the old life. And they were to put on daily that which pertains to the new life so that Christ will be honored and get glory through our lives. This is why Paul says we must no longer walk as the Gentile world walks. We are a new person in Christ. Put that truth into practice as we walk with him. Well, in the following verses, we'll get to next time, Lord willing, he's going to give some very specific examples of what he means by putting off and putting on. He's going to, he's going to talk about putting off anger and, 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 and wrong ways of speaking and, and put on right ways of talking and put off lying and speak the truth. And, and so he's going to, we're going to get into some very uh, practical application type illustrations of um, what he means by that. And he's going to show us what it means to, to live in the, according to this new life that we have in Christ. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord.
for the truth this morning from your word. I pray that, uh, that we've looked at a lot of scriptures and introduced some difficult uh, things to fully understand and grasp. I pray that your spirit might open our minds and understanding so that we can see, Father, what you have done for us. And the impact of that truth, Lord, I pray it would transform our living and our practice that we wouldn't just be trying to do right in the strength of our power, but Lord, that we might be living day by day by the power of the Spirit of God with the motivation of knowing the, the reality that we are a new creation in Christ and that we belong to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I once was lost in darkest night Yet thought I knew the way The sin that promised joy and life Had led me to the grave I had no hope that you would own A rebel to upon my helpless state and led me to the cross and I beheld God's love display you suffered in my place you bore the wrath deserved for me now all I know is grace hallelujah all strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom love in any way you choose, and let my song forever be my only boast is you. Jesus is 